This is the Canadian Taxpayers Podcast. We're dedicated to lower taxes, less waste, and more accountable government. I'm Chris Sims. I'm the BC Director with the CTF. I'm here with my friend and colleague, Franco. Franco Terrazano is our Federal Director. He's now happily ensconced in Ottawa. So, Franco, last time we talked about how the Feds may not balance the budget for like five decades. It turns out the provinces aren't a bunch of beauty pageant contestants either. It's it's ugly, like super ugly. It's bad. So in Deep Dive, we're going to break that down uh, when the provinces will eventually return to balance. And in Waste Watch, we're going to tell you about a homespun, everyday working guy politician who went rock star with his TV studio and made taxpayers pay for it. But first, Franco, you've been in the nation's capital for a while now. How's it going? Ah, it's going good. You know, I'm, I'm here. I'm getting settled in. I'm trying to get my life together at home unpacking or maybe i should say uh stalling to actually get unpacked but simmer you're telling me that you uh, you got some gardening going on kind of reminds me of uh of nona the story you're telling me about growing some tomatoes over there yes i'm not quite ready to make uh cans and cans of pasta sauce but to give you an example my gardening last year was awful i got one tomato now i've got like three tomato plants and they're all blooming and growing fruit which is super awesome so that's going really well um but first off like we need to go through the news of the day and let's start with something good okay westjet we got to give kudos to WestJet because they apparently walked away from negotiations with the feds without taking a bailout. They likely saved us tons of money as far as taxpayers are concerned. So way to go. It's not very often that we can give kudos, but way to go WestJet. And that's in stark comparison to what we dealt with with Air Canada, with the government handing over about $5.9 billion to that company, mostly through low interest loans, also $700 million to Air Transat, and a loan of up to $270 million for the parent company of Porter Airlines. So two different stories there for sure. Yeah. And, and, you know, Chris, I, I know we're all thinking about economic recovery now. And, you know, of course, the government does have a role to play in getting our economy back, firing on all cylinders again. But let's see our governments and our politicians try to help all businesses and airlines by reducing taxes and cutting red tape, right? Specifically, when we talk about airlines, well, we should be seeing the government scrap the carbon tax, lower fuel taxes. But really, for all businesses in Canada, we, we should be seeing the federal government try to reduce uh, regulations, of course. So we're talking about you know, we've talked about this before, but no more pipelines, law, uh, discriminatory tanker ban, interprovincial trade barriers. If governments actually address those barriers, then we could help grow the economy at no expense to the taxpayer. And Chris, you know, you, you're you're giving kudos to WestJet. We all are. Well, someone else that we should start to uh, to give kudos to on a certain front is actually Premier Jason Kenney who is currently pushing his employees to take a three or 4% wage cut, right? Asking some government employees in Alberta to help share in the downturn. Now, um, to put that into context, if you were in Alberta in the private sector and you only received a three or 4% haircut over the last five plus years, then you're one of the fortunate ones, right? It's been a very very tough time in Alberta over the last five or six years with so many, so many job losses, so many people in the private sector taking huge pay cuts, and unfortunately, so many businesses closing their doors even long before COVID-19. Now, the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, we have done a ton of research into this issue, and we even looked at collective bargaining agreements since the beginning of the downturn in Alberta at the end of 2014, and we've seen a massive tale of two downturns, uh, not a single 
government union boss was willing to negotiate a pay reduction within government, but we saw a bunch of private sector unions uh, willing to agree to a pay cut to, to ensure that more employees could remain on staff and to help small businesses stay afloat. And, and you know, at the federal level, uh, the federal government has no records of its employees ever taking a pay cut, and, and that was dug up by our the think tank, secondstreet.org. Yeah, for sure. It's really important when you think about it. Uh, when you think about the people, for example, who worked in the energy sector uh, now during COVID, who maybe worked in restaurants. Uh, I have a girlfriend out there, known her since high school, junior high, actually. Uh, she's in Alberta. She used to manage a hotel and her husband was working on a pipeline. So the double whammy of the pandemic and what's happened in the energy sector, it's really hit them hard. And to think that what's happened to them um, isn't even being reciprocated in somewhat kind in government levels is really disappointing. So it's really important for government employees to really help share in this burden going forward. And let's play a good clip from Kenny here uh, and why he needs to stick up for taxpayers again and government union bosses who want more money. Let's listen to Kenny. Uh, our job as government uh, is, to, is to ensure high quality public services, supporting the great people who deliver those services, but not allowing uh, union bosses to dictate the direction of the province's finances, because if we did that, we'd be in the poorhouse forever. So last week, we spoke about another massive cost to taxpayers, which is the federal deficit spending. So this week, we're going to do a follow up. So this is part two of our deep dive into our deep, deep debt, so to speak. It's all about deficit spending in the provinces. But first, if you're sick and tired of carrying the load all by yourself and you're tired of government waste, help us. Join our army. Go to our website, taxpayer.com. We've got a really cool swag shop there. You can order t-shirts. You can order beanies. You can even order little onesies for your baby, a future taxpayer. So be sure to check that out. Uh, check the show notes and you can get a 15% off promo code. So save yourself some money there. Let's take our dive. Okay, so Franco, you were telling me about the new report coming from the Parliamentary Budget Officer, which is, again, a nonpartisan group that uh, basically keeps an eye on our finances in the capital, in Ottawa. And they were taking a look at the Canadian government finances and whether or not they're sustainable over the long term. So over the long term, give it to us straight. Like, how bad is it? Oh, it's bad. Uh, I mean, seven out of 10 provinces have spending problems so bad that they're just not sustainable in the long term. Let me let me just say that again. You know, according to the PBO, the government's independent budget watchdog, unless there are significant changes, you have 70 percent of the provinces that are not sustainable over the longer term. So that's absolutely crazy to think about. Seven. That's almost the entire country. So uh, break this down for us. Well, you know, that sounds bad and it is bad, but it, it actually gets worse for, you know, your average Canadian who's thinking about this. And that's because the PBO's metric for sustainability isn't even whether or not there's going to be a balanced budget, right? Their metric is just keeping the debt rising at the same pace as the economy. So when you talk oh, about it, when, when they say a province might be sustainable, uh, they're not even talking about a balanced budget. They're not even really talking about reducing the overall debt tab. They're just saying, okay, well, I guess they're going to keep the debt rising at the same pace as the economy. Now, let me just give you a case in point here. Ontario according to the report, is one of the three 
provinces to be considered to have sustainable finances. But again, this is the same province, the province of Ontario, that is, is about $400 billion in debt. It's the largest, uh, it's the most indebted, I should say, subnational jurisdiction. And, you know, the PBO doesn't even uh, predict a return to balanced budgets anywhere within a 75-year time frame when looking at all the governments within Ontario. So the provincial, uh, local, and Indigenous levels. So that's absolutely crazy when you think about it that way. But, but Ontario is considered to have sustainable finances. They haven't balanced a budget in 15 Ugh. years. They're the well, ones that are... Really? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's what I say when we say that... Uh, it gets worse when you think about it because the PBO metric is just, well, it's sustainable if the debt keeps rising at the same pace of the economy. Okay, I have to play devil's advocate here uh, because you and I both do radio interviews and TV interviews about this stuff all the time. And of course, reporters are asking common sense questions like, you say it's unsustainable, but isn't this all temporary pandemic spending? Wasn't this a crisis? This was a huge emergency. Um, investments, as they call them, of taxpayers' money, it boosts the economy. It gets things rolling again. So once you get those removed, right, once we're out of that picture, things get better. Well, fair question. And you would think that, but the temporary spending is already taken into account within the PBO's calculation. So they're already assuming that all this uh, costly temporary spending remains temporary. So you can essentially just remove that temporary element from the equation here. And, and really this, this PBO's long-term sustainability report is just looking at expected growth in tax revenue and expected growth in program spending. And even after all those considerations, still at the end of the day, seven out of 10 provinces are unsustainable over the long-term. Okay, so can you give us an example? Because we've got a lot of numbers here. Give us a concrete example of what the report's talking about. Yeah, okay, let's let's look at Alberta. Okay, so past, 20, uh, past 2024, you have uh, program spending is project, projected to grow uh, by about half a percentage faster than revenue every year. So you hear that and, oh, well, that doesn't sound so bad, right? You just have program spending growing a little bit more than revenue every year. But the problem is the compounding effect, right? Year after year after year. So you go from spending 17% more than revenues in 2024 in Alberta to spending 35% more by 2050. Yeah, but what's that's a big number switch going from 17% along the way to 35%. So what's the explanation there? Yeah, well, there's there's largely two explanations, right? So the first one is an aging population, right? The demographic switch. And, and there's a few things that happen when you have an aging population. The first one is, well, tax revenues just don't go up as fast, right? For a few reasons, but the aging population just means more people retiring, which would mean lower income tax revenue, lower corporate income tax revenue for the government as well. Of course, when an economy produces uh, less or the productivity doesn't increase at the same rate, you're going to see government coffers get hit, right? Um, but also you have to look at the spending side when you deal with an aging population because spending on stuff like healthcare is going to go up. And let me just give you some concrete numbers. If you look at annual healthcare spending for an Albertan who's 29 years old, it's about $3,300 per year. But annual health spending for an Albertan who's 75 years old, well, it's close to $15,000 per year. So of course, wow. yeah, exactly. And so when you look at an aging population, you're just going to be spending more on stuff like healthcare. Uh, now, 
the second main issue, other than just aging population, is something that I think is, is plaguing all provinces or just a large amount of governments in Canada. And it's the lack of restraint when it comes to the growth of the cost of the bureaucracy, right? And, and if the bill for the bureaucracy continues to go up, I mean, really, that's going to impact all areas of government operations. And, you know, we talked about Premier Kenny right now asking his government employees to take a three or 4% pay reduction. Well, the last time that we have seen a broad-based pay cut within the Alberta government was all the way back in 1994, right? A long time ago, we, it was the last time that we saw um, our government employees, at least within Alberta, being willing to share in the tough times. I think that was the Klein years, right? Yeah, that was the Klein years back in 1994. And and guess who was breathing down his neck at the time? Well, it was a, a young Jason Kenney when he was working for the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. Yeah, that was a while ago. Uh, the Canucks and the Rangers were in the Stanley Cup finals. That was an awful long time ago. So yeah, well past time for them to take a haircut and share in the load. So you paint a bleak picture um, using very clear numbers from the PBO. Um What's the solution, man? Well, I mean, it's probably not going to surprise anyone. When I mean, but the high-level solution is, is surprise, surprise, making sure we live within our means. And really, that's making sure politicians live within taxpayers' means. And of course, this comes as no surprise to all families, all businesses, especially when, when the times get tough, well, you trim the fat, you, yeah. you stop spending the money where where on non-essentials, right? Um, unfortunately, we, we haven't seen many governments uh, really cut back on non-essential items. We've just seen uh, more spending. And we, we need to make sure that we get these provinces, right? Seven out of 10 provinces that are unsustainable over the long term to really rein in all of the spending. Um, so of course we need to see politicians really tackle the spending, spending problem across Canada. But the second thing, and we've touched on this a little bit is, well, we need to see politicians remove the roadblocks, uh, for businesses to develop, for resources to be developed within Canada. And really what we need to see is a taxpayer friendly recovery, right? So rather than politicians trying to play investment banker with our tax dollars, we should be seeing politicians trying to remove the obstacles that limit our businesses from growing in Canada's economy. Yeah, I liked the example you gave of household budgets. Uh, most people uh, watching and listening right now have probably experienced that, whether as kids or as heads of a household as parents. Uh, when things get really tough, you have to make choices. Like you need to sell off your second vehicle. You need to cut cable, as they used to say back in the 80s. Uh, get real familiar with uh, tuna and macaroni salad. Uh, <laughs> things need to change right? You need to live within your means. So government needs to bloody well do that too. So an even tougher question. So the PBO um, isn't even projecting balanced budgets. Uh, how do we get to balanced budgets here? Well, let me just touch on briefly something that we talked about in the last, our last episode where we looked at the federal government, right? And, and under the status quo, we're not going to see a balanced budget federally until 2070, which would, you know, cost Canadians, what, $3.8 trillion worth of interest charges is what we would lose over those five decades. So I think that really underscores the point of, no, we need these politicians to really start getting serious about deficit spending. And, and let me just give you a few different examples on what we need to see um, our politicians do. Number one, which is super important is that we need to see all of this temporary and costly COVID-19 spending remain just that 
temporary. Uh, it's estimated that the federal government spent about $270 billion on COVID-19 spending alone last year in 2020. And so we need to see Finance Minister Christia Freeland, uh, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, set a concrete and firm end date to all of this uh, costly COVID-19 spending because we just can't see a repeat of 2020. Now, moving beyond that, we touched a little bit this in uh, a little bit of this, but we need to see a taxpayer-friendly recovery, right? The last thing that we need to see is, is more corporate welfare, politicians and bureaucrats trying to pick winners and losers. We don't need that. Just, you know, let us keep more of our own money in our own pockets and start removing all the roadblocks to business and job growth. Um, a third one, which is a big one, we've touched on it again. It's we have to see our government employees being willing to share in the downturn. When, when we talk about the federal government, it has no records of its employees ever, ever, ever receiving a pay cut. If you look across Canada during COVID-19, we've seen a, a huge tale of two downturns where we have we saw government job increases. And at least at the time that we're recording, we, we saw thousands of job losses in the private sector. Um, and finally, but I think this might be the most important, if not the most important, is we need to see leadership from the top. We need to see our politicians being willing to share in the tough times and show leadership for the rest of the bureaucracy as well. And you know what's really a slap in the face, Simmer, is, is that we've seen our members of parliament pocket not one, but two RIC pay raises during COVID-19. So that needs to be changed. And at the very least, we need to see these members of parliament reduce their own pay. Yeah, for sure. Uh, they like to say things like, we're all in this together. Unfortunately, that's empty platitudes uh, quite often, even here in BC, uh, TransLink, which is basically a, a regional bus board for the transit system in the city of Vancouver, Metro Vancouver. They got all these headlines saying that, oh, the executive office is going to be taking a 10% pay cut or whatever it was. Tons of headlines. Turns out they didn't even bloody well take it. They got federal emergency funding, of course, paid for by you and me and the taxpayers. Um, and then they turned around and used that to pad their salaries instantly right back up. So they got all the accolades and then we checked on it. We sent in an FOI, Freedom of Information Request. Turns out they didn't take that pay cut. So yeah, uh, if we're all in this together, then it's well past time for government employees to actually walk the walk. Okay, and again, this is why we at the Canadian Taxpayers Federation spend so much time talking about balanced budgets and urging governments to live within their means. Because the debt that we're taking on right now uh, is nothing more than taxes that we're going to be passing down to future generations. So when we're talking about pie in the sky, nice things like universal pharmacare and universal daycare, imagine that as simply taxes on your kids and grandkids plus interest. And if we keep doing things like this, they're going to be left with very little money after the government takes its share from their paychecks. So we need to cut spending right now. The adults in the room need to do these tough decisions right now to make sure that governments remain sustainable in the long term. Okay, now it's time for some fun. Let's go make fun of the stupid stuff the government wastes our money on. Okay, here comes Waste Watch. It's the fun part of our show where we get to actually laugh and poke fun at politicians about silly things that they waste our money on. So Franco, you know what it's like when a premier or a politician gets elected again, especially if they go from minority to majority? They sometimes let it go to their heads. They get all Tom Cruise on us. 
Yeah, yep. We've heard of the Tom Cruise effect before. I guess you get some premieres, they get a majority. And before you know it, they're like, I'll be in my trailer. I'll be the star. Hey, where's my Danish? <laughs> yeah, so it's exactly what's happening here in BC and to somebody that I think people will be surprised to hear about. So it turns out that the investigative journalism website called The Breaker, they got a really good story a couple of weeks ago. Turns out that Premier John Horgan Yes, the everyday working man's premier has been spending around $15,000 every month on a super fancy space age TV studio so they can do all of their press conferences there. Yeah, you would think the premier would have heard about Zoom by now. You know, the thing that we've all been using for the last year and a bit. You know, don't don't we already have, I don't know, upteen ways of doing a live video chat by now? Yes, exactly. And again, this goes counter to his brand. So that's why I find it so funny. They actually have, of course, official offices full of lights and cameras and tripods and Ethernet connectivity and all that jazz in Vancouver, Victoria. They probably even have them in regional offices in places like Kamloops and Kelowna. Uh, but it turns out, yeah, according to Freedom of Information request that was filed from the breaker, the government is spending about $15,000 or so in taxpayers' money every month to use the super fancy version. It's a studio somewhere in downtown Victoria, and it's off the legislature grounds. And this place is mint, man. They've got towers made out of LED screens, lots of cool camera angles. It really looks kind of like a video game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sounds nice. Sounds great. And then you realize they're spending your money to do all of this. Okay, uh, Simmer, I mean, what's what's the rationale? What's the reasoning? They, they must have dreamed up some type of excuse of why they need this to happen. Yes, exactly. So kind of the excuse they're giving is, oh, well, we need to be more connected now than ever to people during the pandemic, blah, 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 whatever. You know, uh, Chief Medical Officer Bonnie Henry has been doing daily press conferences. They, they haven't had to do a fancy rock star studio. The premier has been very active online and with the media. They, they didn't need this. But it turns out uh, that the emails that were found through FOI were mentioning things like, oh, this studio is really similar. It's fashion after the one that U.S. President Joe Biden used during the election campaign. Uh-oh. Politicians <laughs> yeah. and bureaucrats go in Hollywood, right? They, they start getting uh, starstruck by their heroes in the States, and they blow money on silly stuff like this. I mean, what are we going to hear about next? Uh, wardrobe manager first, diamonds. But Simmer, too, here's another thing that really sh struck me. I mean, didn't he just win a majority? <laughs> Why is he spending all this money on a fancy Hollywood style studio now? Exactly. That's usually the way things should go. So one, use your party's own money. Fundraise, you know, get supporters to give you money. Take that money that you've gotten willingly from your supporters and use that to set yourself up some sort of rock star studio and then get elected. Once you're done, uh, go back to the canned tuna budget, please, because we're all paying for it. This is completely backwards for him to be spending tons of taxpayers' money on a fancy TV studio after he's got his majority. It makes no sense. In fact, that's a really good question on wardrobe. That should be our next FOI into the Premier's office. He's actually unfortunately expanded his spending in his office of the Premier by a lot. Office costs there have risen around 60% or so since he was first elected back in 2017. And he has around 100 staff and has apparently boosted that budget by around $3 million. Now they again try to say it's all connectivity and vertical integration, pandemic, blah, blah, blah. Um, that's a lot of money to be blowing on communications budgets. So it's definitely something that we need to keep an eye on here. 
All right, everyone, that is the end of the show. And as always, please, please, please share it with your friends, your family, because more Canadians need to know about the issues that matter for taxpayers. And importantly, thank you so much to Grant the Video Guy and our friend James Wood for editing this podcast and making it look like we kind of know what we're talking about. See you next week. Hi, I'm Scott Hennig, President of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. If you've got another minute, I'd like to ask you to think about the one person you know that would really enjoy listening to this podcast. Do us a favor and do them a favor and send them a quick note to let them know about it. At the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, we believe there is power in numbers. That's why we've worked so hard to build an army of taxpayers who are ready to push back. And we did it because people like you shared our work with that one person that they knew would really appreciate taking part. Thanks for listening. And thanks for doing your part to make Canada a better place.